Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Here we go, here we go. We are back with another episode of Believe in Horse Racing with Ken Rudolph. I'm Ken Rudolph again today. Woohoo! Lucky me and lucky you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us again here today. This podcast is brought to you courtesy of the good people at the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals, and we're coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Really appreciate you that have come along with us on this journey. We're on episode number 11, and I really appreciate all of you, and there have been so many, it's uh, quite surprising, that have subscribed, uh, rated, and reviewed all of our shows. Really appreciate you coming along board for a progressive conversation as we continue to celebrate all the things that are so fantastic and great about horse racing, and then try to fix all the things that we think could be a whole lot better. We're going to continue along those lines of addressing things that we think could be a lot better. You know, we talked about race and diversity and inclusion and equality about a month ago, and uh, I really appreciate the response that we have received from a lot of people in the industry and even people outside of the industry because that's part of what I'm trying to do as well is bring people in from the outside to discover this really incredible game and come on in with us and we can get this money together. But when I brought up the discussion of some of the things that we could really really need to turn our attention to fixing and horse racing. We got a great response from a lot of the, the listeners out there and people on social media. I really appreciate it. One of the best things that happened was the bosses, the management at TVG immediately reached out and offered their full support. And we've been talking ever since of trying to figure out what we can all do together next to continue to help our sport grow level the playing field so that there's opportunity for more people and uh, make our sport stronger as we continue to try to evolve and uh, move forward and, and be a more progressive in what we are doing. And one of the cool things at TVG, the management, and I really appreciate their support and the fact that they, they didn't tell me to correct anything. They didn't tell me to back off of anything. They didn't tell me to soften my language. They didn't say anything of the sort. They just supported me and asked me, hey, what can we all do together? And one of the things they did on their own was TVG decided that they were going to start to talk to the tracks that we show on our air. And if we notice anything, they were going to bring it to their attention. Immediately, TVG management noticed that there were still connections running with the Confederate flag on the back of their silks. And management immediately jumped in front of that and said, nope, we're not going to have that ever again. And now they're moving to, to push to have that completely banned throughout the industry. So I do appreciate that support, and I do appreciate the fact that we have taken a really important step forward to eradicating and banning all symbols of hate. And I also appreciate a lot of you reaching out, 
there are people out there, and I know I said that I didn't want to have a conversation with white people about race. And while I really don't want to have those conversations, um, I definitely didn't want to have it until things had, a, had, a, had some time to kind of spread and people had a time had some time to get over their initial outrage or shock or whatever it was that they were reacting to with my very first um, discussion on this particular issue. And it's been a series of discussions about race and diversity and equality and inclusion in this great sport. But I do want to say that there have been a couple of shows that I've gone on and, you know, every time I come on a show, this does not have to be the topic of discussion. And so... Um, I do want to thank the good guys, um, Champagne and JD. They do a really good job with their show, and we had a nice talk for a while, and we had some fun, and then we talked about some things that are serious, and it was really good to, to hear their perspective, and then they were able to understand mine. So I appreciate that. Uh, the guys on the guys and the gal on the Triple Clowns, it's a pretty cool podcast out there. They just have a lot of fun, and they were really nice to be with. And so there are a couple of um, shows out there that I've been able to to sit in with and kind of share my experiences in horse racing. And I think we can continue to do that. It's not something that we need to talk about every single time, but it is something that we should make sure that we continue to check in on the progress just to see, you know, how things are changing, if we can continue to change them. And we're going to have to do that together. And, and that starts with us having conversations like the difficult ones that, that we've been having. And even if you want to take it upon yourself to have a conversation with someone who might be in your inner circle, you know, a lot of people reached out to me on social media and said, hey, I'm a white player and, and my friends at the track are black. I don't think that they have any problems. And I was like, hey, just just ask them. Just talk to them. It's not going to hurt anybody if you ask them, you know, how they feel. It's not going to hurt you at all. And so I think that there have been a lot of people who have done that. And I think that's a great first step. You know, on the other hand, there have been a lot of people who have not been shy about expressing their frustration and disbelief in all the things that not only I express, but I had other horse players on the show that expressed the same thing about race and diversity and equality and inclusion in horse racing. So it's not just my opinion. And so for the people that still do that, okay, I mean, that just means we have a lot of work to do. And it's just, it's now the responsibility of not just me and not just black people, but everybody. And so we all need to get together and support each other. And so on today's show, we keep that conversation going in the direction of speaking to women. So today I'm going to talk to two women in racing. One of them used to ride horses like nobody's business. The other one likes to play the horses every single day and she's pretty good at it. So coming up here, we're going to talk with Hall of Fame jockey Julie Crone. And I met Julie Crone back in 1999 when I started with TVG, and we've been friends ever since, and she's really done really great work in helping to open my mind up to things that are taking place in, as far as the, from the perspective of a woman in this sport. And so I love the fact that I've been able to talk with her, and we had a great conversation, which we will check in with her here in a few moments, and you'll hear exactly what we were talking about. And we're going to meet a lady who's a player. She just likes to watch racing, and she likes to play. And she's just a really fun lady to talk to. Her name is Janet Barrett, and she's from Jamaica. And she's got a great story as to why she came over here and how she fell in love with horse racing and, and how she plays every day. And I just like reaching out to players because you're all important, every single one of you. The sport is nothing 
without every single player. So I'm really happy to be able to, to come down from my lofty perch as the individual on TV and on TVG and on other networks as well. And just to be able to, to open up that, that particular forum to everyone. So we all can kind of share how we feel about this great sport, all right? So with all that being said, once again, thank everyone for rating and reviewing the podcast, and thank you so much for subscribing. We have really great numbers. We want to keep this whole thing going. We want to keep all of you involved as well. So if you want to be on the show, normally we do Long Shot Lounge at the end, and so if you want to be a part of that, man, I want all handicappers. I want all players to be a part, and come on in so we can be here and we can get this money together, all right? So we'll continue doing this together. But for now, let's get set. We're going to talk with, man, one of my favorites, and everyone likes to talk about the fact that she is one of the most accomplished women in horse racing as far as female jockeys are concerned, but it's about a whole lot more than just that, all right? Let's go check in. We begin our episode number 11 with Hall of Fame jockey Julie Crone right here on Believe in Horse Racing. Here we go. We are talking to, uh, like it's the beauty of the opportunities I've had in my life to sit next to amazing people, one of them, is one of the greatest jockeys in the history of horse racing. I'll give you the number. She's won more than 3,700 races. She is in four separate Hall of Fames, including, of course, the, the Horse Racing Hall of Fame National Museum. And she is also a winner of Breeders' Cup Race with Half Bridled, winner of the 1993 Belmont Stakes with Colonial Affair. I won't say anything about her being the only woman to do that. I'll just say she's awesome. <laughs> she is. The incomparable Julianne Louise Crone. Well, thank you, Ken Rudolph. That was quite an introduction. Oh, that's what we're paid to do. That's what we're paid to do. Thank you so much for hanging out. Man, I have so much fun with you, woman. Is it see when I say man, I don't mean the gender. Is that offensive? No, not at all. You gotta be okay. you gotta be really stretching your your etiquettes of of genders and names and all that if you're like that. That's like sometimes yeah. you know you walk into a whole group and like I'm always like, hey dudes. Like I call, I call all girls dudes, and I think the younger kids do it too, so it's fine. I do too. Yeah, the younger I've kids. Always do. done it. Yeah. I, and I don't mean it to be. It's nothing to do with gender. It's just like um, a casual kind of a reference that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you know, it's like my daughter. My daughter's the ultimate. She's like fourteen, going on fifteen, September twenty seventh. Yeah. So, she is the ultimate of cool. So yes, if she calls a group of people dudes and it works, then it's going to be okay. Okay. But it is a situation where you do have to be, you know, cognizant of everything now. And it's, I'm okay with that. I just, I do like to explain to people, I, I didn't mean it that way, but I do see it because you, I did choose the masculine form oh, that's of expression mm-hmm. as the lead form of expression. And so I could understand if women were like, what, but you chose man and dude. Yeah, exactly. I could see that being. Like, like, oh, okay. And look at that. We just learned something again. My goodness, Julie. <laughs> We've got to spend more time together. You are doing so much right now, and uh, you're busy right now. You are at Monmouth Park, is that right? Yes, I am at Monmouth Park, and I am an agent for the very first time. And I can tell you it's a lot, it's, it's a lot more 
tedious. Okay, first of all, we'll do the two versions. One version is if I didn't, if I wasn't battling with the COVID virus, then I would be on the backside at Monmouth actually seeing trainers every day and talking to them. And I'm, I'm sure the things that I'm learning as an agent would be in my mind a little bit different. Like, so it takes me like, instead of one step of learning something, it's like four now. And everything I do has to be on the phone or on FaceTime or at the races. And even then, you know, people are just like saddling their horses and then leaving. So you can't really have a sit down or like break bread with anybody or, um, you know, there's just a couple groups that I'm hanging out with and it's mostly the people that Farron is with because we're really eliminating our circle of people that we have like contact with on a daily basis. Uh, and we're being very conscious of that. So that being said, being an agent in the coronavirus age is a lot harder because I can't have, uh, you know, sessions. Like I can't go in and like talk to a trainer and like, you know, oh, and if this one doesn't go, let's run them on the, on the, let's run them on the turf race. But if the turf race doesn't go, let's enter him dirt only. And like, there's all these little innuendos and these little, you know, talking about the weather or something happening that I think it's, you know, it's kind of changed the way that we relate to each other, obviously, because if you can't stand next to someone, you're going to be calling them on a phone and texting them. So I think my strength would have been like to see all my people at Monmouth face to face, hug them, shake their hands, talk about old times, you know. Um, so the way I had to approach being an agent was a lot different than I wanted to. Um, but then I went back to my old my old adage and my old mantras of do what you can where you are with what you have. You know, that's always been my, even if I'm boxed in at the quarter pole, like I'm just always making the best of it. You know, you always had to uh, be able to be flexible in racing and you always have to be able to be a good winner, be a good loser. You have to work so like unmeasurably hard. You, your work ethic is just has to be something that people are just like awestruck from. And so that being said, it's a little bit harder for me uh, organizing my mounts and stuff like that, you know, because I don't have the expertise of, let's say, Corey Moran, you know, and he's like the cyber agent with all his computer set up and all that stuff. And I'm sure some of the other top agents are too. But I, I'm just doing it kind of like for the beginning so Farron and I can get established in a way that is going to, you know, carry us for years, not, you know, just like one summer, you know, really meeting people at the races and I would say shaking their hand with quotations, yeah. uh, doing the new air bump or the, you know, whatever we do to keep each other safe. So I think the element of people, the people version of it was my strength. And now I'm, I'm finally settling in a little bit and seeing people enough. And, but, oh my gosh, it cut me off at my knees. You know, I was kind of like, oh, I just want to get in there and talk to my people. And, and yeah. I think the trainers could help me learn a lot of stuff about the book too. Like, cause sometimes they give me a call. Yeah. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I don't, I don't get this whole thing, you know, but now I'm slowly getting better. Uh, I have a lot more work to do to become a better agent, but um, Mammoth is like kind of a good learning environment. It, it's really all about relationships. Oh, it's so um, true. Oh my gosh. Especially in that yes. particular job. And I, I wonder, before you made the transition, Julie, did, did you speak with Angel Cordero Jr.? Or did you speak with Ron Anderson? Are you close with them? And then, and what did they tell you as you tried to make this transition? No, I talked to everybody. Well, my people I called were more like, I called a couple other guys, uh, 
that I know from my lifetime, like at Monmouth and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I did. I called everybody um, and everybody was just really excited. And I always have this thing, Donna Brothers and I talk about all the time, like I always have this thing where I start a project and I'm like all gung-ho and then I get into it and the details get all mucky and like, you know, stuff really start happening and I have to like pack and then I'm like, oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I get into, yeah. I have a lot of energy yeah. and I get swirly a lot. But this was not one of those things. This was one of those things that I feel like I had my my claws in it so fast, you know, and so in the, all the right ways. Um, and it, it was kind of, uh, it was kind of scary at the I start. I Getting, oh my god, I have to answer this. Hold on. Hello. That's okay. Hi. How are you? Who is this, please? Barada. Michael, I am doing a TVG interview right now, but I had to answer because you, I didn't want to lose the mount and stuff and let, or make you worry. So, can I call you back yeah, in a little? Okay, good. Yeah, okay, thank no, you. No okay, no thank rush. you. Okay, All right. bye. Sorry, that's my new job, Ken. I kind of have to do that. That's okay, Julie. This is my different job. It's not for TVG. This oh, is oh, not my, for TVG. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, me. yeah. But I just, I just told him that. I just told him. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, I was like. I, I kind of different, I definitely had to do a different approach and I even had a little bit of anxiety and, and doubt going in, like, oh my God, how the hell am I even gonna do this? Like, how am I gonna, and then even getting everybody's phone numbers and like all this stuff. And then for a little while, you know, it was like fun to call Corey Moran for a while and have him help me. But then I'd be like at the trainers at Monmouth and they'd be like, oh yeah, Corey Moran just called and tried to steal two of your horses. <laughs> and I'm like, if you want a friend, buy a dog, right? But you know, but there I am at the no. draw, and there I am at the. He did you the best favor. He told, he showed you exactly how this is gonna go. Exactly. He did you like I'm at the favor. draw, and I have him on the phone, and I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, business. Corey, let me help you at the draw. <laughs> you know, and then I'm and like I'm gonna tell him, like, dude, I help you at the draw, and you call owners and trainers and steal my horses. <laughs> like seriously, like, I got I got trainers calling me, and they answer the people stre- like trying to steal their horses, and they're like. You're gonna wait a minute. You're like second leader rider, and you want to steal this bug girl's like one horse. He's like, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. that's how you get to be the Yankees. You don't get to be the Yankees. Exactly. Just letting other teams, just letting the Red Sox win. Oh my god! Know. Like I got trainers telling me, Tampa you know, Bay win. I protected your mount. They're so sweet. They're really nice. And I'm gonna tell you, this Farron is so likable. Like she's climbed in people's hearts. She is like climbed into their heads she's got people oh my gosh i just took calls for sunday and i can't even tell you i was leaping around the room i was delirious and kelly breen hollendorfer yeah Yeah. uh, mike fair i mean you know pharaoh like everybody that matters at monmouth and i'm like i'm like holding my hands in my head i'm like ah this is so cool now i love the fact that she is you know, crawled into people's hearts and, and she gets them excited. All I care about is what she's like when she crawls up on top of a horse. Oh my what is gosh. her strength as a rider? Oh, What's the, her strength? I saw she won some races over the weekend. I didn't get a chance to see the actual style. What's her thing? run for her, man. She's got this naturally dangly reins. You know, she's just got this natural way she is with horses and the way she is... Uh, The way she is with, um, like, people, because she's going through vet school, you know, and stuff, so she brings this certain sense of, like, oh. you have this calmness to yourself when you're around her. Even I do. Like, she's, she's, she's kind of interesting. She kind of slows me down a little, and 
She's just like unflappable. Like you can just throw anything at her. Like you could tell her Bob Baffert is riding her on his horse in the Haskell and she would be like, oh, wow, that's really great. And then she'd just walk away with like, we call it the Farron walk. She has this really distinct little walk. Like, you know, like she has, she has sloping shoulders, like Antley, like little sloping shoulders and like this, this way about her that you kind of look and you're like, and she walks away and you're like, let's do the Farron walk, you know? So like, I love how you just gave the Chris, you just gave the Chris Antley reference. Yeah. But she has like the sloping (laughs) shoulders and like, you remember how Antley had that way of walking like with his, with his shoulders back and like his, it just is there something about. Yeah, her physicality, you know, is it her physique? He's like a cowboy when he and walks. It, yeah, and it's so fun to watch her become an athlete, like, watch her over the last five or six months. Like, we went through this training where she was, like, making her muscles really big, and then she was, like, working really hard with, like, all racehorse technique, like, all racehorse, racehorse, racehorse. Like, we watch races. We talk about technique. We talk about total opposite things, because I think when you're a jockey, you have to hold two opposing thoughts at all times. And like actually right now during COVID, we all do because we all like, it's funny, we make plans and then, okay, if COVID doesn't cancel it, then we'll be normal again, you know, but you're never gonna be normal again. But but yeah, so like being a jockey, you have to be able to like have your own idea and have the trainer's idea and have the horse's idea. So like all these opposing thoughts and kind of it's fun to see her um, develop into an athlete in, in a rounded way like because we pecked away different things like first of all we're pecking away at her muscles then we're getting she wanted her weight normal and nice and solid before she got here to ride so she weighs 106 pounds and i'm and that's like literally eating like three meals a day like because she did so much work two months ago like that she just weighs 106 pounds and she can eat like all day and so that's like a real big bonus to for her as an athlete so she's not riding you know, and not eating during the day and like, Oh yeah. Right. So she's really strong. She knows a lot about her own, like muscle. She knows a lot about her recovery and all the stuff she does. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, Julie. I mean, you're enthusiastic about just about everything, but I can feel it in you and the details that you talk about with her. And you know, one of the things, my whole show is about, you know, just talking about horse racing from all these different perspectives, but mainly from the perspective of somebody who just likes to bet, racing i just like to watch the horses go oh around. my god that's so funny and... you said that because <laughs> i bet a race the other day and i'm i'm like notorious for not betting but i'm looking yeah. at i'm looking at fair and source and i'm like oh she's so gonna be right there right yeah she's so gonna be right there and so then i was walking by Mar- uh nick caruso he just got here from florida yep and i was looking at his horse in the paddock and then i'm looking at there's a kid from the racing the racing office there and he's talking to his buddy and he's like, oh, wow, that horse looks really good. My horse is 11 to 1. Crucial's horse is 6 to 1. And there's a horse that's like uh, 4 to 5, like, you know, whatever. The flashy number that can't get beat, you know. And I'm like, oh, okay, I know what's going to happen here. So I went and I was like at the window and I'm like, can I have one of those swirly things with the favorite, with the 6 and the, and the whatever? <laughs> and the guy's like, what? And I said, well, I don't care who runs second or third. I just want to do like... And then I said, well, how, they're both longest shots on the board. What can I do? And then he was like, oh, here's how you do it. And then he taught me how to do it. I freaking got like 45 bucks back. I was so excited. It was so fun. And they broke 10 and they stayed exactly like that. And they finished like that. So, you know, partway through the race when you say, oh, if they stop it right now, I could cash this ticket. Yeah. That's what I was doing the whole race. I was like, oh, just stay like that. Oh, just stay like that. I was like, it was like really cool. But I never. Wait. 
Wait a motherfucking minute. What? Julie Crone, are you telling me that <laughs> you have never bet a horse race before? Well, no, I bet like collectively like probably 20 times and they all paid like a whole bunch and they all won, but I don't bet. <laughs> you know what I mean? I bet on myself and stuff for horses that, you know, that go on the turf the first time or something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was making sure I'm like, you did not just start well, betting. I've had that's guys beautiful. drop tickets in my boot before, like that's going to make me ride harder, but whatever. <laughs> I'm always going to Are you ride. serious? Oh, heck yeah. People, there's people you ride for that put a $100 ticket in your boot all the time. I, I've never heard of this. Now, not that oh, it's, yeah. it's, I'm sure everybody else knows about this, but I, I don't know much about the, the inside action of horse racing. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty Okay, fun. have you ever had that happen and you won? Oh, all the time. Like, probably so, 50 times, maybe. And how do you get the ticket back to them? Do they come back and get it, or what happens? No, happened? I just take it out of my boot and give it to my valet. Oh. Because it's me. I'm bet They bet on me to win. Yes, of course. Right. Huh, and I then I share that. with my valet or whatever, you know, or the guy. Yeah. yeah. I even gave the you know, I even gave the, the girl a dollar tip because I left the winner. I was like, here, bam. <laughs> Okay, I gotta do one thing real quick, Julie. Something just happened with our um, our microphone. I gotta uh, give me twenty seconds. To the audience at home, that was just a ploy so I can break away from the interview with Julie Crone and share this with you. What's the number one sign of a bad home security system? That's a home security system that's so complicated you never use it. That's exactly the type of system Simply Safe has spent a decade fighting against. Simply Safe was designed to be easy to use while protecting your home 24-7. Order online, open the box, place the sensors, plug it in, and your home is protected around the clock. It's that simple. Simply head on over to simplysafe.com slash team. That is S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com forward slash team and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash team. People, it feels good to fear less. And now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. I love the fact that you've always been so uh, candid about everything that, that happens with you and everything that you go through with, with horse racing. And I really always love the fact that I don't think you ever took any crap from any rider at any time. I know when we're at Mammoth and they keep talking about all my fights I've had with everybody, like things I didn't remember. They're like, they're like, <laughs> they're like telling me this story about this one time I got fined and it, and this guy, this fan is like screaming at me through the fence and I'm drinking the water. And I guess, I don't remember this, but I guess I threw the cup of water at him and then I crunched the cup at, and threw the cup at him too. So <laughs> I was like, wow, that's pretty epic. Did I really do that? And they were like, yeah. And they, th they were thinking that I was going to go <laughs> with the water in my mouth, but I didn't. Right. Because I'm drinking, and he's like, you stink, you should go back. And he's like cussing at me, and he's like, and he just kept doing it for like two minutes straight. You know, and then my, I kind of got myself together, and I was like, wow, I could like throw water on him and then hit him with the cup. And so I think that's what I did. I don't remember it, though. I don't remember it. You know what, though? The judges will allow. Oh, no, I that got That seems fine. like the appropriate well, reaction. Well, it cost me, but it was worth it. Okay, really, the stewards punish you for that? Oh heck yeah, yeah, but it was worth it. <laughs> and then one so, day, and then one day they were telling me I was late to the paddock at Monmouth, and there was a pretty legitimate reason. And the and the patrol judge, he was all stressed out. He's a really good friend of mine, so there's not any bad badness there or anything. But he's like, he's like, hey, you uh, 
Are you still there? Yeah. Okay, so he goes, hey, you're late to the paddock, and I'm finding you. And I was like, ah, oh. I said like a cuss word, right? And he goes, ah, oh, no, you're late because you cu- now you're getting fined for cussing, too. And then he was something was like, it was like $150 or something for being late and cussing. And I was mm. like, we'll make it 200 because you're a, a, <laughs> a double, triple cuss word something. And, and so that was like, F, they, all to- they all were doing that over and over again, telling me how I did that. It's how I like got fined double and then was like, well, make it more. And then you were down. I was like, so I guess I was pretty spirited and crazy. You get that out of a movie. That's awesome. No, it's like, so true. I really did that. And then it's like, <laughs> then it's like, they're like, you remember doing that after the end of it? And every one of them like, no, I don't remember doing that. I was like, so, okay. Here's the one story that I've always wanted to talk to you about. And you know what I'm going to ask you, damn it. But so before we get started, we will say to all parties that were involved in this, there's nothing but love and respect to all parties involved in any of these situations that I'm going to ask you to talk about. Is this the epic Bravo fight? Yes. All right, so yes. I got told the details of the story last night, which is coincidentally a really good thing. So it went down like this. So first of all, you have to understand that I, Joey probably rode at least 900 horses that year. And at least like like a day and night. We're riding day and night. We're riding day and night during Monmouth. We're riding Atlantic City during the day. Mm-hmm. Monmouth at night. Monmouth during the day. Then we're wow. riding Meadowlands at night and either Philly Park or, Mon- or Monmouth or... Uh, and then it went Aqueduct, Meadowlands, right? So I rode 1,200 races that year. I was exhausted. I was yeah. so tired. Um, and Joey Bravo rode a whole bunch of horses that year. So we're riding around the turn. And I guess he pinched me like a little bit on my horse. And I was like, hey! And then he reached over and he accidentally hit my horse on the head. Like, because we were just getting to the quarter pole. And he like, and, and he wham, hit my horse on her face. And it was like, and then so I reached over and I hit him. And I was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I went all crazy. And I'm like, what the hell is And I don't even remember. Like, I was like, like that elbow in him and throwing elbows and stuff. And we're at the quarter pole. And then, and then we were like fighting, pulling up halfway. You know, I couldn't get over to him. But I was like, what's wrong with you? And then I, I don't remember what happened. At, like, we get to the scale and there's this trainer named Joe Mbizi. And I guess Joey Bravo was like, get ready to, like I had hit him or something or pushed him and he was getting ready to like push me back or like I was definitely the accelerator like after he hit my horse though right like it gets so confusing after a while you're like okay what just happened because like, it started at the quarter bowl and then it ends up you know ending at the scales and stuff and then Joe Mbizi he's like a he's like a really kind of a tall guy and he's like really he's really nice and so it was kind of weird for him to do something like this but he kind of grabbed Joe and he's like don't ever hit a girl and then, like, while he had Joe, I kind of was, like, going to hit Joe because I thought he was holding him for me or something. I don't know. But the guy, yeah. he's, like, a big guy, though. He's, like, six feet tall, Joe and Beezy. So it almost looked like a setup, like, for some, like, WrestleMania or something really weird. Right. With me and Joe, like, fighting and then and Beezy. And then I don't remember the, the fines and stuff afterwards, but it was just hilarious. And, oh, my gosh. I have the utmost respect for Joe and for Bravo and we haven't even laughed about that or said like what actually we should me and him should share a beer together and have some laughs over that moment but it was so long ago you know like oh god like 
was it how many years like 89 or 90 or wow well you guys will be able to do that this weekend he's riding at monmouth right yeah he's gonna ride in the haskell you'll be there eh, don't start see, maybe bob baffert will put my jock on the horse for the for the haskell oh, here i need a haskell that. mount here you go with that hey didn't you tell me a story about you swung a helmet at somebody and hit him in the jaw oh yeah that was miguel ruano that was afterwards that was after on um, the scale that was like uh what was that about well he was he was claiming foul on me and i don't hit everybody in the head with my helmet that claims foul on me but he had already hit me with his whip and my my face was bleeding so when we pulled up he hit me with his whip uh across my face and he was like you bothered me leaving the starting gate and he had just gotten a fight with Joey Rocca the day before. Uh, and both of his tests came back positive, like for like, uh, what are the speedy, whatever the speedy drugs are, I forgot. But anyway, both of his tests came back positive because he got tested the day before for fighting with Joe Rocco and the next day for fighting with me. Uh, so, and then he got ruled off for life after that. So that was kind of a sad thing. But yeah, that was another epic fight with like, pool like we're in the swimming pool he tried to drown me and i hit him with a lawn chair and it was just like ah craziness but it's weird we don't fight anymore you know the jocks they don't fight anymore it's kind of against the law do you agree do you think that they should every once no, in a while like no kind of get one, that out or no no one should be fighting nobody no 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 i don't agree with that at all um yeah you know and as we as i matured as a person the rules kind of evolved so it was a natural fit for me like, but if I saw somebody fighting, I certainly wouldn't be like hypocritical about it. I'd be like, hey man, spirits high, man, when you're riding, your your life's on the line. Um, if you gotta feel like you gotta go there, then you gotta go there. But you'd think now that there's more television cameras, people communicate better. We know like more of our own human behavior things, you know, like we're not, we're not like we were before, like where we think, Oh, two people, be, you know, become doing a physical activity and then coming back to a, a three by five area together. Well, three foot by six foot now, or six by six if you're COVID friendly. A six by six area sharing it now is like uh, different. Like you've already prepared yourself. Like, oh wow, if I get in a fight, it's going to cost me two thousand dollars. You know, like where before it was like a yeah. hundred dollars, and you were going to prove your freaking point and whip that person's ass that just messed with you. You know, it's like. <laughs> But here's the thing, I don't, there are a lot of people, myself included, who find those things to be very important. I find that people need to, and I'm not advocating for people getting beat no, up as no. grownups, but I do feel like I've always said to people, um, I'm not a tough guy, but I've been in fights like everyone else I was telling my wife. I've been punched in the face like nine, ten times. I'm, I'm not proud of that. I've been in fights. I'm like, but I feel like everyone should know sometimes that there are consequences for exactly. <laughs> actions and acting a fool, man. Like you just can't come talking crazy. Come on. <laughs> We're doing something that's, especially what you're talking about. The scenario and what you're talking about, like you guys are out there and one of those little ridiculous moves like that will cost someone everything. 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 On the back of a horse. Yeah. And so, yeah, I can totally understand. Like you just said, if you feel like you need to go there, then all right, I understand it. Because it's serious. It's everything's about relationships and how you all get along, um, not just together, but of course, one on one. Do you feel like um, you come in with Hall of Fame credentials, but do you feel like I don't know how many women are there that are jockey agents? Um, no women jockey agents. And Farron is the only girl and the only apprentice riding at the meet. So when I say I got the leading apprentice with three wins at, at Monmouth, 
Don't ask me how many other apprentices are there, okay? No. <laughs> right, because that doesn't matter. I texted, I texted Peter Miller today, and I was like, Peter Miller, guess what? I have the leading apprentice. 1-3, road 19. Uh, only like four of her horses haven't gotten checks out of all the horses she's ridden. And she was part of that big trifecta, the biggest trifecta since 1935. Yeah. It paid like $23,000 or something for a 50-cent ticket or something. How freaking fun is it for the fans without the cheaters at Monmouth Park this summer? Uh, I, that's what I've been hearing. Now, I see I don't know anything about it, oh, but so that's fun. what everyone keeps saying. Like, I, I stay at, at a very comfortable distance from those things. Um, from what things? From what? Of the things with when they're talking about violations, oh, possible like, violations, who oh, yeah. may or who may not be doing whatever. I stay at a comfortable distance away from that. I hear it. It's fun to have a, a real racing again. I mean, every single, like four times a day, there's freaking double digits slapped up on the board and somebody's like cheering in the grandstand, you know? It just makes right. it so fun. It's just but how, so fun. Okay, so how do, now that you're saying it's a level playing, it's it's a more even playing field. Right. Because there's every, the, the betters believe that there's always someone who's still doing something. They just haven't been caught yet. Pretty happy at Mammoth right now because you got to imagine what shadow they've been under for a long time. You know that's a long time to be. And I even thought about that with the agents the other day. I even thought about, wow, you know maybe these guys are a little jacked up because of what they've been through. Because you imagine what it's like running for second money if you're not the guy riding, you know, for Navarro or service. Like who are you? You're gonna be second and third all summer, okay? For summer after summer after summer. Like, and so maybe the agents are a little edgy about that too. So I took that into consideration. And they, I guess, you know, when I walked away, I was like, they have every right to be mad at me. But then I just thought it was funny, like five days later, the guy's like, hey, Corey just tried to steal your horse. And I'm like, what? I call him at scratch time and all the guys hate me because of it. <laughs> you know, and okay, I'm, like, so I'm like, what am I going to do now? But Corey has helped me a lot too, Ken. So I'm in a little bit of a predicament. You're in middle school is what you're in. I'm anyway. in middle school. But at the meantime, you know, it, it'll we'll all get relationships individual. Like you said, I'm already getting a few like that are different. And you know, you and I have always kind of stayed in touch over little things. And, and recently we really have been talking and you sent me some some things of, uh, that really helped to open up my mind uh, about race and equality and diversity uh, in horse racing specifically. And, you know, as, as everyone has to say with you, she's the only woman to do this, the only woman to do that. <laughs> and I, I hate, I thought about that today as I was coming up to do the interview. I was like, I don't like that. Just like, I don't like when people say the first black person and the first black person. I'm like, it's not a celebration until there's more than one. Oh man, right on. And so I, I hate saying that to you, but it is, that's the fact. But how do you feel about the state of our sport, especially right now today? And, and, and you would have a different perspective because of your history. You had to battle uphill the entire time. Yeah, today it's, it's interesting. Yeah, when I come back to Monmouth, um, it's kind of interesting because the, girl, the girls, it was crazy because I was the first girl to ever ride like back-to-back -back races at Monmouth. So Monmouth Park has no way of knowing that the girls' jocks room that's way in the back behind the guys' jocks room there's no way to physically get back and forth to the room in between races, like every race. Like the guys walk into the room, they splash their face in their bucket, they look at their racing form sitting in their corner, they pull their silks for the next race, put them on, and they weigh at the scale. I would have had to run the complete distance of the boys' jockey's room all the way back to the girls' room, 
the whole thing took like six minutes. It was mm-hmm. ridiculous. So we up in the front of Monmouth Park, there's this little office and it's like a probably a 24 by maybe like a 20, like 30, 24 by 30 room. And the guy was in there, Denny Mace has been in there the whole time with the cult, with the, uh, when you bring the horse, their papers, all the horses have to have papers. And he has the chip thing now to read their, you know, you used to have to flip their lip to read their tattoos. Mm-hmm. But now he does the chip for some and reads the tattoos for the others. But I shared the room with him. And then partway through, I told my valet, who was Jason Service, uh, I told my valet, Jason Service, to be like, Jason, let's set up a room here. Uh, just put a little lead to, like, get one of those big things that go from the top to the ceiling that's like a, a blocker. And just fold it, and it was like a little, you know, three by five little area. Yeah. Hang my silk here, and I'll wash my face, and then in between when I have races off, I'll run back to the girls' room and get my stuff I need. So once I would come up to the front for my racing day, I'd have to have everything there, like my racing form, uh, any snacks I wanted, you know. And there was no bathroom, okay? I am leading rider at Monmouth Park, and I am peeing in a cup, and throwing it in the garbage can. And I made it like a joke. I'd be like, okay, everybody out. I have to pee in my cup or something. You know, it's like a big room and I'm behind this little closet thing. And then I would have my face, wash my face and my snacks. And it's like my little corner. It was like, if you walked over there, you'd be like, oh, it looks exactly like the jockey's room, except for it's not. It's just a little corner in this guy's room that he does the tattoos. But in the, and that being said, I was so afraid Literally, I was horrified, Ken. And I don't know how my mind came up with this, but I thought if the trainers find out that I don't have proper jockey's room, they're going to not ride me on horses because they're going to think that I'm always compromised somehow, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. don't ride Julie because she's compromised. Like, she doesn't have a, a jockey's room and, like, she's, she's going to get beat a nose on her horses because, you know, something's bothering her in between or something. So yep. I hit it. So I hit it. And I told my valet, he was like, well, you should have him build you like a bathroom in here or something. And I was like, please don't say anything. I was horrified of management and, and like, cause it was just different back then. You know, I was, I was causing a lot of problems. Like I, you know, I was having fights and I was, I was making people really mad all the time, you know? And I, so I always felt like, and I would even like manage myself if I won like five races or something. If there was other girl jockeys that rode that day, because there was a lot of girl jockeys at Mammoth, and I was back in the room, like maybe I didn't ride the last or something. I would like the first time I ever went back, and I was like really happy. One of the girl jockeys like threw something, and she's like, "Maybe the rest of us didn't have the great of a day as you do all the time, right?" Like kind of like that. So I would even like not be too happy when I won a lot. So I was like contorting, like all these things that you know we we should be celebrating and asking for help. You know, can you help me be a better athlete? Can you give me the same facility that the men have so I can compete on equal equal level, you know, and not feel like I'm hiding? Uh, I didn't know what. Was I protecting management? Was I protecting myself, my career? I, I don't know. It, it was like a, a sports psychiatrist would probably have fun with something like that. But No, there's a then, lot. There's know, something there, absolutely. It, you know, it goes on for a long time. And it, it made sometimes when I see movies and stuff with things that have to do with race and prejudice, especially against black people and things like I go, Oh my gosh, I'm so feeling that because I've been, I've been that person, you know, I've been in a room with a bunch of guys, like, especially like, it always seemed like meeting in the bunk room was always like 
they always met in the bunk room, which is the sleeping room and the jockey's room. Yeah. And some of the older guys would come and get me, like some of the more, the guys who are in charge, they go, go get Julie and all the other girl jockeys. There's four of them or five of them and they need to be in here too. And we'd all kind of be like, uh, okay, we're in the boys' sleeping room. This is a little weird. We'd be like, you know, <laughs> but it was always weird all the time. And a couple of times, like, I'd look around and I'd be like, the only girl standing there and there'd be a lot of real intense guy stuff going on, you know? And I'd be like, okay, do I just kind of like fade away? Or do I say, hey guys, I am standing here, you know? Yeah. Like, I never knew. So I, I, sometimes I felt that like if I'd see a room of like white people and there'd be like one black lady or something, I'd always be like, wow, you're like me in the jocks room. I'd be like, and they'd be like, what? And I go, oh, yeah, I'm a female jockey. And sometimes I'm the only jock girl jockey in the room. And, and so, yeah, there was just like. Okay, what have they ever said to you when you, has that ever helped? Is that ever, has that person ever been like, <laughs> yeah, I get that? Oh, hell yeah. That always is an icebreaker. Always, 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 for sure. Yeah. Because that's one of the things we talk about with, you know, being an ally for black people is, is just do anything that shows us that you understand the, our daily life. It's not a big deal. Just like, just a little thing to be like, you know what, I get it. We, obviously it's not quite the same. And we're not saying that you're saying that your experience is, is um, more severe or more intense than a black person's experience or vice versa. But it's yes, just that little so gesture true. of saying, hey, I, yep. I see you right now. I see you in this room with all these people. I see you, and I'm telling you that I, I understand you. That's just a nice yeah. gesture. It is a nice gesture. Yeah, there was a lot of times. And, and the, I always appreciated it when I had the, the, the classy guy or the the more, you know, the older jockey in the room that would say, like, hey, hey, hey guys, let's calm down. Like, there's, like, every, we have a mixed, peop, mixed group here. Let's not be like that, you know? And I was always kind of like, yeah, thank you very much for sticking up for me. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, I realized I had to more sometimes like what you're doing, like having more of a leadership role and like you're being the one that's saying, hey, let's let's talk like this. Let's do this. Did you not uh, get off of a phone call with a, a trainer to do this yes. interview? Yeah, just a minute. No, he just called me. He was going to call me this about this time. You just That person has now waited 30 minutes. I hope you don't lose that mount. No, he's good. He's good. Okay. We've been doing this for like two weeks. That okay. was the final call before. I already have the call in the book and everything. He's just going over everything. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when, when we hang up from your recording, I can tell you something. Okay. Well, wait a minute. Oh. Wait, no, no, no. I can't. I can't. <laughs> you can't. No, I can't. Not this one. This is just for you, for personal. Okay, Julianne Louise. By the way, I, I looked it up and I love your name. Oh, I well, thank you. You don't think you ever told me that? Like I always uh, um, say everyone's middle name because I love Michael Earl and I love Gary Lynn. Oh, Christopher Wiley. I know I've said Antley twice tonight, but he oh, was no, just... Oh, everyone loves the late, great Chris Antley. You know, Seriously, he's the very Wiley? first... He's the very Wiley? first... Wiley? What? He's the very first what? He's the very first jockey I ever saw. Oh. <gasps> I, I swear to you. So Where and when? It was the... Well the moment with charismatic the moment oh, so it's nine remember that's 99 and that's when i'm just yeah. hired by tvg oh. and so we're watching i'm not able to go to the derby that year but i'm doing all the, the research derby the preakness and then the belmont i'm doing all the research as we're getting into everything with tvg so by the time we're getting ready to start on the air at tvg it's it's belmont stakes time and everyone knows coming down the stretch and charismatic and then chris and that that shot of him holding the the leg up and he waved over for someone to come and I, I I'm super passionate about sports and I'm just emotional about it I think it's the best thing and I'm just on my couch crying oh 
And then I remember telling my wife, because she's like, I always, I'm like, baby, you don't understand. This guy is holding up this leg of this 1,200-pound animal. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen, baby. And, like, that was one of those moments where I'm like, I'm in. Oh, man, so true. Yeah, that was, he was something else. And then when I got, you know, to work with you guys, and then, you know, he was still riding, and, and, and he was Chris Antley, because he's an amazing jockey. Chris Antley, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and so, and then I remember I got to talk to Gary, and Gary was, like, the first jockey that I talked to that was, like, that was, they, was, they were, like, best friends. Uh -huh. And when Gary told me stuff, and I was like, oh, man, I didn't know about how great a guy he was. I had no idea. Yeah. I just remember that he was the first he jockey was, that I ever saw. He was the I'd first like... boyfriend. He was the first boyfriend I ever had at Atlantic City. He was uh, I forget what was I think I was eighteen. And I don't remember. We were really young, and we used to hang out all, every day, all the time. We'd draw horses, race horses at night. We'd ride the bale of hay like we'd be like practicing at the barn yeah. and stuff. It was so, yeah. He was uh, he's like one of my. Oh, I miss him all the time. God, he'd be so he would love Farron so much. My new jockey, he would be digging her. I'm sorry that 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 uh, you know that pain comes up, but I do love that you shared that with me. And I I didn't I didn't even remember that story about how I cried when I I hadn't even signed I just signed with TVG, and so we're still. That's new. a good memory. That's and, like that's like Lorelai. I have this video of her. Jay's at the Breeders' Cup. No, Jay's at the awards, the uh, Eclipse Awards, and we have him on the TV, and he gives a speech, and then we go to the Eclipse Awards to watch him. And Lorelai is like three years old or something, and she's met Zenyatta and. Then Yada's all over our house and everything, right? And she's conceptual. She's got the whole thing where she knows she's got her sippy cup. She's waiting. It's nighttime. We're doing the announcement, and they don't give her horse of the year. And I have this two-minute video of her going, ah, and she's holding her sippy cup. She's got some. <laughs> she's got like some racetrack shirt on. It's nighttime. It's the most adorable thing, right? Just got out of the bathtub. Her hair's all wet, and she's like, and she's crying. Ah, like Lolo in the video, I'm like, Lorelai, what's wrong? Zenyatta, what happened to Zenyatta, baby? Zenyatta, they didn't give it to her. They didn't give it to her. What didn't they give her, baby? Horse of the year, mom. Oh, she's crying her eyes out. And sometimes just for a laugh, I put that video up. <laughs> <laughs> because it's just so adorable. Like that moment, like you, like seeing that and crying on the couch. Like, yeah. Oh. It's that serious for a lot of us in horse racing. It's that serious for a lot of us, okay? <laughs> Julie, you know I love you. I appreciate you all the time, Julie Crone. And we'll talk again soon. Have a fantastic meeting at Monmouth. As you keep getting this money, good luck to you and Farron. My pleasure. Thank you very much. What a great time with Julie Crone. I love talking to her. All right, we're going to transition now into a conversation I had with a horse player. Usually we do long shot lounge here, but I'm not really going to give out picks. We're not going to handicap. I really wanted to share all the perspectives of different players. So now let's take you to a conversation with the wonderful Janet Barrett, who came here from a different place. Here we go. Tell me a little bit, where are you, where are you from and where do you live now? Um, I'm living in Derby, um, Connecticut. And where are you from? Um, from Jamaica. Jamaica. <laughs> I'm from Clarendon, Jamaica. It's the island. The island, Jamaica. Okay. And when did you come to the States? I came here um, in 1986, August 1986. Why? I came here to um, go to college. I started college in... Um, South, I, um, in Louisiana, Southeastern Louisiana University, back in 1987, but I came here in 86. 
And so how did you end up getting into horse racing? Or were you already into horse racing uh, from no, back home? I, um, my friend from back home in Jamaica, he, uh, he wanted me, he wanted to bet. So I started getting into it and watching you guys on TV because he told me about TVG station because he yeah. once lived in America. So um, so he was, he was home. So he's the one that directed me how to open the account and everything. So I did. And I, I, I put in his horses. Then I started betting for myself from his account. <laughs> and I start <laughs> from you guys, listening to you guys. Oh, I remember um, it was a night track with this guy, Les Onaka. Yeah. Yes, he was really good. I miss him. So <laughs> that's when I first won like maybe $300. So, and I start, that's how I got real into it. Well, Les Onaka is a beautiful man and just a brilliant man. Did an outstanding job there. Yes, I love him because he's so like, oh God, so humble. And I don't know much about his personal life. I know that right now he is dealing with something and I don't know the status of that, so I can't speak on it. Um, yeah. He's just a really, really cool guy. And it would oh, totally yes. make sense that he'd be the person that you would listen to to make money because he always picked always winners. Always wins. And he, and he always knows all the long shots. I yeah. miss him. Every time I watch it, like now, I'm like, oh my God, I miss him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have some people that know what they're doing, and I'm not here to sell you on TVG. I just kind of want to hear about how you uh, how you play on a daily basis. So do you handicap at all now, or do you just kind of do look at the horses on TV? Like, how do you make your final decision? Okay, so what I do, I like, um, there are like a few Jamaican um, trainers so I, I always look out for them, like the, the Mirages and yeah, um, yep. Charlton Baker. Like yep. if he, if whenever he like um, picks like a real jockey, a good jockey, so like Arad or the other brother. Yep, Jose. I know they're going to win because, and like, and then for people that like move from one track to another track, because I know they move there to win. Like today, I, um, when you tweeted out number 11, I um I like the um the Wesley Ward horse at um that new track like Keeneland. Yeah. So I said okay, but and I I carried that horse on top and carry all, and then I bought your number eleven to win for two dollars. But if you if you had tweeted out your horse like earlier, I would have carried your horse for second and and I would have won the trifecta. Oh right. Yeah. Because your horse was like 40 to 1. Yeah, yeah, that horse, I really like that horse a lot. Yes, I'm like, okay, because I, um, I noticed like the Jamaican guys, they're always like talking about you picking long shots. So I'm like, okay, let me try your long shot. Yeah, yeah, I wish yeah. that would have worked out. I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's, it's very, I don't tweet out very much like, um, you know, like our friend Christopher. Christopher puts out a tweet for every race. Oh, yes. The, the other Jamaican yes. um, beat the chalk? Yes. Yes. Christopher Higgins has yes. been on the show before, and I love Christopher. He's beautiful. <laughs> he's hilarious. Yes. I just started following him, and he's really good. Because I know this is Jamaican, too. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, he's really, really good. and But he does it for every race. And so I feel like, well, you know, I'm always trying to find a, live, a long shot, and I can't find one yeah. in every single race. So I only tweet it out when I feel like, okay, this is a really good spot. I think there's a chance here and mm -hmm. uh it just didn't work out for us but i'm glad that people pay attention yeah and it's mm -hmm. fun if it works out yes so, even the race at gulfstream that with the mirage it was with mirage and the, the jamaican trainer too i'm like this horse gonna win 
So I, I put that horse on top because he had the number two. Uh, yeah. It, and that horse paid like $21 to win. Oh, that's nice. What were you telling uh -huh. me about everybody, all the men in Jamaica and horse racing? Yes, they love racehorsing. I was watching TVG once and um and Bob what's his name? The trainer Bob is Bob the um Baffert? yeah. Baffert, yes. He said, Oh, like he's like whenever he goes to Belmont, the Jamaican crew always shout like, Oh Bob, what you got for us? <laughs> <laughs> why why <laughs> why do so many Jamaican men uh like the horses so much? Because I guess maybe because Jamaican, you know, this is that's the only like fun sport. You know, like like everybody could get like you know get together and like you know, talk and I don't know. I, but they're all into resourcing. I'm telling you, because all Jamaicans, the young guys, young old, everybody. I love but that. I wasn't into it, and then my my older sister. I remember she used to work in like a betting shop back back home. And then my teacher in Canada, he used to, he was like a human calculator. He used to do calculate, he used to calculate all the bets at a betting shop back home in Jamaica. That was back in the 80s. So they're into resourcing big. But I always like, I, I could never bet on numbers. Like, why people do that? I'm like, until I started winning, so. <laughs> no, no, I'm like, my kids like, oh, you're addicted. I love it. <laughs> I watch resourcing like from app from that you guys start like at one twelve o'clock until at midnight. I mean, it is fun. <laughs> it's it's just some, there are times when I I won't even yeah, be betting. I just like to watch. <laughs> it's like a natural eye. <laughs> Right. I'm like, oh gosh, this is crazy. Yeah. Who's your favorite? Do you have a favorite jockey yet? Mm-hmm. Huh? My you... my favorite jockey? Yeah. Oh yes. I, I love the um the young kid from Mario Mirage. Oh hey, Romero He Ram is Ramage. really good. Yes. I remember I won a big trifecta using him and he and he came second. Yeah, I love him. He's really good. You know what? Um is so funny. I had never heard of him until I spoke with Christopher and, and some other players. And Christopher's like, mm -hmm. yeah, Romero Morag, you got to watch him. He's better than, well, he's, he's, he might be better than his brother Rajiv. And I love Rajiv. I think Rajiv's fantastic. Oh, I think they're cousins. I think or, they're or, cousins. Sorry, cousins, excuse me. And so yeah. that mm -hmm. weekend, Romero was riding a 70 to 1 shot at Belmont Park. Mm -hmm. And I picked him just because we had just had that conversation. I'm like, He's on a Palace Malice first time starter. Okay, wait a minute. They they like. Okay, yeah. And so I and it ended up paying a hundred and fifty some odd dollars. It was crazy. That kid is yes, amazing. Yes, I think I won. I won that. I, I think I won that day. <laughs> yeah, that was the, the opening really weekend. He's good. Belmont. Yeah, he mm -hmm. was really good. And he really was good. so great at Gulfstream before he got you know got he hurt. had an accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. whenever you see he comes out riding for Rudy, he's you know he's gonna like win eighty percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're right about that yes <laughs> uh janet so tell me uh, before i let you go what is can you can you tell me the biggest score like the biggest win that you've ever had betting the horses the biggest win oh oh the biggest you know um 
like a pick a pick four or just like a like a winner the dollar amount the biggest amount of oh, money that you've ever won at I, the track i won i won almost um four thousand dollars with um that lady she is really good katie that's her name um katen 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 yes she gave us five and i won that it was uh, four thousand dollars <laughs> yes and it was it was cheap it was pretty cheap yeah she's pretty outstanding and then uh, that girl this other girl i don't remember her she's she's always a she's always putting out pics for santa anita she uh she's a young girl but she's really good too we have a, a a group of them uh christina blacker and uh, megan divine yes megan she's good i won like she her pick i won a thousand dollars twice <laughs> and then you know who's really good too um she always come up with some long shots and some cheap bets like it like her bet usually costs like 18 dollars. last time i won her bet she put out a bet um a pick for it cost 18 dollars, and i won 800 dollars. Ooh. Um, she she always comes on at night for international track. Oh, that's Candace Hare. Yes. Candace. Yeah, yes. she's really good. Yes. Uh-huh. They're all very good. Um, Christina is very good too. And Simon. Simon, um, Simon is great. <laughs> yeah, I won I won this. Um when he's called out that number three, I won that exactor. He paid like like fifty dollars, forty seven dollars today. Wow. wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. <laughs> I'll tell you what I want to do, Janet. Um, if you find that you would like a horse that you decide this week, this weekend, you let me know okay. and we'll tweet it out oh. and get people to okay, see it. Okay, I will. All right. I'll send it to you um, through email or um, messenger. Or you can just, like... yeah, you can just DM it to me if you want to. Okay, I will. Okay. Easy breezy. Okay. <laughs> Janet, you're so wonderful. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you and have you on the show. Oh, thank you. <laughs> share your excitement with everybody. And uh, hopefully we're going to keep on winning and getting this money together. Oh, yes. I want to win big. <laughs> you will. You will. All right. All right. That'll do it for another episode of Believe in Horse Racing with Ken Rudolph. Man, I really want to thank my guest, Hall of Fame jockey, Julie Crone, and just a wonderful horse player who came here from Jamaica, Janet Barrett. Really appreciate the ladies taking some time to be with me and I will continue reaching out to other women in the industry. I have another big show coming up where we'll be speaking with quite a few of them and just talking about how they feel the industry treats them. We'll do more of that as we continue here on Believe in Horse Racing with Ken Rudolph. I want to thank you all for hanging out with us for this week. We'll do it again coming up next week. Please don't forget to continue to follow us, rate, review, and subscribe to what we're doing here as we keep it pushing. In the meantime, I'm out of here. I'm Ken Rudolph. Let's get this money together. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.